it's just like it's hard to explain because you probably only i mean i only ever find it a handful of times a year at best like maybe maybe one or two times a year and my buddies usually are about the same thing where it's like you just hit that spot and it's like well this is a no-brainer this is it i literally will continue to move day in and day out until i find that Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and hey, I'm going to go ahead and apologize now for my voice on this one. Uh, I'm just getting over a battle with COVID, which I can tell you was was not a real fun experience, but I seem to be on the mend now, uh, just dealing with some lingering nasal congestion here. So so bear with me on this intro. I'm going to keep it fairly short and sweet so we can get right into the heart of this one which is a great conversation with the uh, the wild man, Zach Farrenball of the hunting public. Uh, man, Zach just j- Zach dives into summer scouting and, and why he doesn't spend a whole lot of time doing summer scouting anymore. Uh, we dive deep into his in-season scouting routine, which is where he puts most of his focus, as well as his transition uh, to a mobile ground hunter and how that, how that happened and uh, – some tips for for anybody out there who may be interested in trying some ground hunting uh, this deer season. So I know you guys are going to want to stick around for all of that. Uh, I do need to mention that this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast is brought to you by our friends at Vortex Optics. If you're in the market for a new pair of binos, or maybe a new rifle scope or a spotting scope for the upcoming deer season, hey, give the folks at Vortex a look at vortexoptics.com. Not only are you going to get a, a top-of-the-line product, but all their optics come with an unconditional lifetime guarantee. So you just can't go wrong with Vortex. Uh, so check them out again at vortexoptics.com. And uh, hey, one more thing uh, happening this week. We just kicked off our latest fundraiser, our Tracker UTV membership drive. Uh, this is always a very popular fundraiser. If you join, renew, or extend your membership with the NDA through this special membership drive, so you have to use the the direct link to this this membership drive, which I'll tell you where to find that in just a minute. Uh, but by doing so, you could win this Tracker 800 SX UTV. And the way that works, there's two membership options. For $100, you get a one-year NDA membership and one chance at the UTV. Or for $250, you get a three-year membership and three chances at the UTV. Uh, only one winner will be drawn, and we're only going to sell 1,000 chances. And so you can get those from now through Tuesday, August 23rd. That's when we'll wrap it up, and we'll draw a winner on Friday, August 26th. And the best way to, to find that is to go to our website at DeerAssociation.com. And click on that big banner right there on our homepage that says Tracker UTV Membership Drive. And uh, and be sure to get those chances for that. And guys, with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up here. We're going to jump on the phone with Zach Farnball to talk all about his scouting and, and ground hunting strategies. Hey, Zach. I uh, appreciate you carving some time out to uh, come on here and join me on the Deer Season 365 podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It's going to be a good uh break up for my drive i'm got an 11 hour drive from <laughs> iowa to 
Colorado back home and, you know, good little uh, conversation about hunting to break up the monotony of that would be nice for me. There you go. There you go. Yep. Probably not a whole lot to see across uh, a big part of that drive other than, than flat ground. <laughs> yeah. Going along the, going along the Platte River is kind of cool, but right now I'm, I haven't quite made it there. So I'm kind of in the flatland on my right. There's corn. And then on my left, there's corn. And <laughs> other than that, it's, it's road. So yeah, <laughs> not much to look at right now. <laughs> Well, well, we'll try to keep you uh, keep you occupied here with some with some deer talk for a little while, anyway. But uh, yeah, I've I've, uh, I've been looking forward to this one. I know you know deer season, man, it, it is uh, creeping up here on us real quick, and no guys, a lot of guys are getting fired up and preparing for it. So I thought this would be a great time to kind of get you on here and talk some summer scouting strategy and, and maybe also dive into a little ground hunting tactics because I know you, you yeah. hunt a lot from the ground. So I thought that would be a, a pretty cool topic to cover as well. But uh, I recently saw a video from you guys where you were talking about, you know, putting a renewed focus on on scouting this year, some summer scouting uh, because it ultimately seems to result in better overall success for you guys in the seasons where you really spend a lot of time out there scouting. Um, so just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what, what's this season kind of going to look like for you guys, uh, for the hunting public, as far as, you know, travel versus, uh, hunting there, you know, close to home. Well, that's, that's a unique question. Cause it's, it is, you know, I kind of heard that on the video too. And I thought, well, that kind of depends on, which person in the group you're talking about because <laughs> <laughs> I don't live in an uh, area where I can hunt whitetails every year. I mean, I could choose to, I suppose, in Colorado, but um, you know, I'm a, that's where I'm a resident now. So okay. things look a little bit different for me these days than when I lived in, in Iowa or like when I was in Ohio when I was younger. Um, so I've been a resident of Colorado now for well, I guess in 2020, I was not a resident anywhere. I was kind of in between, but I have not, I have not been an Iowa resident since 2019. And, um, you know, that, that definitely changes things up because I spend the majority of my time in Colorado. And, um, you know, as far as scouting goes, I don't really do any in the summer other than stuff out there. Um, so I'll get, come back every once in a while and, you know, walk a uh, property with the guys back in Iowa, but a lot of my scouting I did this year, you know, off season was, was taking place in, um, Ohio and, you know, it's, it's, it's a unique situation for me, I suppose, because I'm not, I'm not a resident of a whitetail state necessarily, you know, right, like right, my, yeah. my, fo my focus now kind of gets taken over with elk and, um, mule deer and then, um, I guess a lot of the other hunting that I do, most of my scouting just takes place in season. But I will talk about, I will talk a little bit about, I guess, kind of my, my goals with it overall throughout the year in a, in a short form. And then if you have any questions about that, then, then we can go from there. But like, you know, season ends and you've got a couple of months there before we start turkey hunting. We start turkey hunting pretty early um, because we start down south and just kind of hunt it out till, uh, till June. So I had a few days where I could make a trip back to Ohio, um, scout out some areas with my buddies there. And at four days, 
And the whole goal was just to get in there and cover as much ground on new ground as, as we could, you know, just get on a spot that looks good on the map that maybe we wouldn't, you know, go out of our way to hunt in season, but you know, you'd always be curious about. So we did a fair amount of that, um, covered a bunch of ground, found some sheds. And then a lot of my scouting too gets done during turkey season. So, you know, all the time when I'm out during turkey season, no matter if I'm planning on deer hunting there or not, I'm just really, really taking note of how deer are using the landscape, how they're, you know, using vegetation to feed or bed or, you know, both, how they're using an edge to travel and just kind of, you know, piling that on the memory bank, I guess, um, throughout really from the time deer season ends until it starts. And then as turkey season ends, like I said, you know, when I'm at home, I kind of spend a lot of time scouting for elk and when I'm scouting for elk, I'm doing pretty much the same thing I would be doing now for, for whitetail is I'm just kind of going around, doing a lot of glassing, um, trying to see, you know, stuff moving around, just kind of get a gauge on what populations look like in different areas, close to different pieces of public land and stuff like that. So, um, you know, whether I'm in, whether I'm in uh, Colorado in the summer looking for elk or mule deer or, you know, let's just say in Iowa or Ohio, um, looking for whitetails, I'm kind of just doing the same thing, just checking areas out, checking access points. I would say more so looking for deer. I'm just looking at places that I think look appealing for the season because, you know, if you go in and you look for fresh sign right now, unless you've got a really early opener, like the deer probably are going to be doing something different in October, for example. You know, Ohio opens the very tail end of September. Iowa opens October 1st. And, you know, the deer are just doing so much different stuff at that point that it's hard to really predict much based off where you're seeing the fresh sign now. But that's not to say that if you got time to go out there, it's not worth it. We just were out walking a piece um, this past, uh, I guess it would have been, I think it was Sunday. I don't even really know, but we were about <laughs> out walking and checking it out and just getting an eye on what it looked like. And, you know, we saw things like historic sign, like rubs that we definitely took note of. Um, we also saw things like other hunters, trail cameras and tree stands. So, yeah. you know, that that's the kind of stuff we're really looking for as much as anything. We're looking for, you know, access. We're looking for how many hunters, you know, how accessible it is for other hunters, where we can maybe get creative and find something overlooked. And, you know, less looking at specific sign because that evolves so much throughout the hunting season that we always like to continue to move and scout throughout the season. So really my whole scouting plan is learn an area as far as just, you know, knowing what type of plants are growing there, what the terrain actually looks like based off or, you know, compared to what I just assumed it looked like on the map. And then also just, you know, continuing to, look at the historic side and see how deer are treating my landscape and, um, you know, not really looking at too much specific. Now that's something that differs from what I used to do. I used to go in and the, any time of the year and just like make this really specific plan. <laughs> and the problem that I found with that was I'd go in and hunt that area with that specific plan and 
was just like not where the deer were in that time frame. So for example, you know, I may come to a, in the summer, I may come to a white oak stand with a whole bunch of buck sign from the year prior. And I think, man, this is going to be, this got to be smoking in the middle of October when the deer are going to be feeding on acorns. And I just, I just uh, would go in and expect exactly that to be the case. And a lot of times the situation had changed, whether it be the acorns weren't dropping on those white oaks or, um, you know, maybe, maybe there was some crop change on the, you know, land surrounding and the deer were, you know, utilizing that more. But when I'd go in with a specific plan, I'd always end up disappointed where now I go learn an area, kind of take note of that historic sign, see, you know, what vegetation's growing there, what tree types, whatever, and then go in in season and try to find where the deer are right now before I commit to hunting to an area. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, so I guess all around, you know, I think that, I think that we always scout and, you know, it looks a little bit different for all of us because like in that video, Aaron was talking about that, but he's in Iowa, you know, and I'm in Colorado. So it's a little bit different when it comes to whitetail. So I don't technically like do any, you know, real specific scouting and I haven't for multiple years now, um, I just am looking at it more broad scale, just trying to, you know, look at things big picture this time of the year, really from January all the way till hunting season starts. Right. Let, let me let me back you up a little bit here on the on the Ohio trip, because you mentioned yeah. you mentioned you had had these spots picked out and then and then got in there, you know, boots on the ground and, and started uh, kind of diving into them. What? I guess led you to those spots initially um, was, was these spots you had picked out, you know, from looking on on X or what, uh, yeah. what interest yeah, you I in sp- those, those areas. I spent a bunch of time on on X. Like that, that's another part of the scouting. I suppose is I spent really a pretty absurd amount of time looking at maps <laughs> because again, I'm not, I'm not necessarily in my hunting areas. Like, um, like this year I have a list of a few States that I would like to target. And I, can't guarantee that I will or will not be there just based off of, you know, how things go in general. Like if we, if we fill tags and we, you know, get to go to more places, but that, that isn't always the case. So, you know, I'm looking at on a map constantly, uh, been looking at like North Dakota, Oklahoma, Minnesota, and Ohio, for example. So I'm constantly looking at those. So, uh, in February, I had been looking at Ohio a lot and I just had several places that I picked out and really there, what I'm looking for is, um, terrain features and habitat breaks and the habitat breaks. Um, this is, this is more big wood setting. A lot of time the habitat breaks are where I can tell there was some sort of prior land use before it became public land. Like, uh, like there's a lot of mining or, you know, old mine, coal ground where they strip mined it back, you know, back in the day. And now it's reclaimed. So there's some sort of habitat break where you go from maybe timber to, you know, more of a brushy or grassy habitat or, um, and the other, some of the other stuff looking for where maybe there's an old pasture and the timber is just a little bit thicker than the majority of it. Um, also looking at, 
you know, timber cuts, that's a big part of the strategy as well, just to, you know, find some sort of added diversity in an area. And then as far as terrain goes, I like to find stuff where I can just go from the access straight up versus parking at the top and walking out across the top. The reason is, is a lot of times once you get up on top, that's where the majority of the trails are. You know, you get to the top and there's a trailhead there. And, you know, honestly, it's the easiest way to get way in there. So a lot of people do that versus if I can go, you know, straight up a thick hillside that, you know, the run, the road runs parallel to that hillside. I just can assume that not a lot of people are going to go in that way. So, you know, I pick those areas based off of that. And, you know, also hunting kind of close by in general in the past, I'll look at an area a lot. Like I'm constantly, this is also something I do when I'm, when I am hunting a state, I'm always looking at other spots on the map. So basically these areas are spots in Ohio specifically that I've been looking at for you know, up to like three years now that I just haven't made it to because I get, you know, kind of caught up hunting the areas that I just am in that season and I don't make it around to get to these new areas. So I was just kind of trying to add um, more options overall. And we found some really good stuff. I mean, I know we found several areas that got us excited. We found a really nice, my buddy Keith found a really nice shed on the very first place we went into. And then we found just, you know, really good historic sign. And that's the, that's the beauty to me about being in an area in, in February versus the summer is, is you can see what happened last season, you know, as fresh as you're going to. You know, at right. this point, a lot of that stuff we were seeing would be kind of overgrown and, and um, a little bit harder to see. But, you know, we were able to see where the trails were last fall and um, see where you know, betting sign was from the year prior. And just, again, just getting, a, a, I guess, a just a bigger list of options for places to go attack once we're in there, which really makes me feel good because I think that it makes it a little bit easier to hunt aggressive in the places that, you know, you, you already know as well because it's like, okay, if I go in there and I feel like I really mess things up, like I spook a bunch and, you know, or I go in there and I don't see anything, um, you know, nothing that gets me excited as far as seeing deer or just sign in general, then now I got the confidence to dive into these other places just because I know them. I know how it looks. I know how my access routes are and stuff like that. You know, that that to me becomes more and more important at this point in my career than just finding finding sign or finding deer beds and stuff like that. Cause it's like, you start to see consistent patterns where sign is. It's just a matter of checking if it's fresh or not once you're actually in there hunting and understanding the lay of the land, understanding your access routes, stuff like that. Yeah, gotcha. Now, you mentioned earlier glassing. Now, you were talking about, you know, elk these days. Um, but in the past, I guess, uh, did glassing play into your scouting, uh, summer summertime scouting? Yeah, I, I love driving around places and just, you know, kind of getting a gauge on how many deer live in specific areas. Like years past, I can think of examples where, you know, we kind of targeted areas where, you know, in the neighborhood, we were just seeing a lot of bucks. Like there's a spot that we hunted um, a 
fair amount in 2017 that I remember that summer driving around and seeing two big bucks and, and uh, you know, a handful of other really nice bucks, and, you know, ended up being exactly the case when we went in there to hunt, you know, just every time we were in there, there was a high number of bucks and it wasn't even like, um, on, so that's the thing. It's not even necessarily on public, especially when you're looking at it in June and July. And I, I mean, really the first half of August for that matter, it's like at that point, you know, there's going to be bucks that are, you know, spending time on public that are two or three miles away from the public land. But you're kind of just thinking of it as a, you know, a neighborhood, you, you know, put your, put a point in the, in the middle of the public land and then just draw a line, you know, a few miles around that and kind of make a cruise, you know, in your truck, just driving around glass and seeing what the densities are like, seeing how many bucks are around that, that really helps um, things out. And also if I'm hunting like more open country, for example, like I'll try to make a trip um, out like early before season past the places. Like we do a lot of this too. So, you know, a lot of us like to take little, you know, vacations in the summer and just kind of go drive around or whatever, drive to different parts of the country. Like a couple, couple summers ago, Jake went out to like Wyoming just to check out some stuff that he'd been wanting to look at. And on the way, he took a route out though he can see, you know, multiple pieces of public land in multiple states. And you just kind of get an idea of what it actually looks like. So that way, when you go there, in the future you have some sort of reference and i think that that's the type of stuff that you know when i say glassing i mean that just as much as anything like let's go cast this piece of public land in you know the state you know whatever state it is that neighbors colorado whether it be wyoming or nebraska or you know the dakotas something like that and you can go out cruise around an area channel access points glass you know a lot of that stuff's pretty open so you can see deer pretty easily and uh just doing stuff like that to me is is really beneficial because you know a lot of times too i'm just as excited about hunting in early september as i am in november so if i got a little bit of an idea of how many deer are living in an area um, especially if i'm planning on hunting there right out of the gate on you know september 1st give or take a day or two like you know confidence definitely goes up if you can get eyes on it and do some glassing and you know kind of confirm if there's deer living there or not okay so you're, you're just just getting a an idea of the deer density in the area you know whether or not there's some some good bucks in that general area but but not so much uh to pinpoint a specific location yeah. on, on that tract of yeah. public land yeah and like i think i think it, you know it would be different for me too if my life was it set up differently like, you know what i mean like, <laughs> yeah I, I like I think that's one thing to keep in mind if you're if you're listening to this is like this isn't necessarily what I would be doing if I was you know living in Ohio working you know a totally different job you know more of a nine to five Monday through Friday schedule it would look a lot different but with what I do and where you know like right now I'm just like driving across Nebraska and it's like in the past I'm not going to do it on this on this particular drive but in the past. You know, I make loops out and around, go out of my way to go check some public land in the summer. You know, just get an idea of what it actually looks like. And I think that, um, you know, in my situation, that's helpful. You know, and 
we also travel to hunt, so we don't really like. I mean, I really can't stress it enough. Like, we don't really hunt at at home very often. You know, like we we're pretty much always on a out of state trip throughout the whole season, and I think that's what makes things pretty unique. The guys that live in Iowa, it's a little bit different, but like again, living in Colorado. When I hunt whitetails, I'm never at home. I'm never at it like a home base, and I don't, I don't necessarily target a specific buck um, unless I'm hunting in a spot and stalk situation. Then I do a little bit more, but yeah, it's not really looking for specifics. I'm more just looking at everything big scale because I know that once season opens, I can just you know get out there, find the sign that I'm looking for, and probably will find the type of buck that I want just based off of off sign, you know. Yeah. Well, I guess, how would that look different if you were, you know, you mentioned it, if you were that, that average, you know, blue collar worker that's, that's working, you know, nine to five and in a factory setting or whatever. And, and, you know, they don't have every day they can get out there and, and scout and, and do that and hunt and do that kind of thing. Uh, you know, how, how would that change up, uh, your, you know, scouting routine, summer scouting, that kind of thing. I mean, what, I, guess I don't, I don't know. I don't, I just, I just don't really put a whole lot of value on summer scouting at this point. I think one thing that really helped me a lot was there's a couple of years there that I really tried hard to learn more about how deer bed in the summer. But then once I felt like I got a gauge on that, there's, there's so much consistency to that where, you know, if you get experience doing it, it kind of becomes more of, it's, I think it would honestly be pretty dang similar, really, because, like, um, to me, summer scouting is really just an uncomfortable time frame. You know, I'd really, I, yeah. I, you know how I'd summer, here's how I'd summer scout, I'd fish. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I don't, I don't put very much value on summer scouting at all, really, just because, like, the conditions um, and the, the things that dictate where deer are in the fall don't really matter at all in the summer like they may be out you know in the summer out by a pond in the middle of a in a bean field i've seen that many a times and it's like you know that doesn't really mean anything to me once season starts because i know that's not going to be the case they're not going to be there um so if i if i do get a chance to get out and walk or again go around public land i would just be checking access more than anything like i love getting an idea of what the roads look like on public land so i tell my buddy all the time like that lives in ohio it's like man every night of the summer i'd just be driving around looking at the access points all these places not necessarily going in there but i would just like you know on my way home from work i'd just say okay i'm gonna take an extra hour and just go loop around to this spot and check out this road to see if it if there's pull-offs on this spot or if there's trails or whatever you know human trails looking for what the people are doing just as much as anything and then um you know in an open country setting you know i'd do the same thing except for i would just spend a little bit more time class and again just trying to get a little bit of an inventory but then i would spend more of my time boots on the ground scouting in that you know january february march time frame and turkey season so i guess i don't think it would really change that much at all honestly it's because really, I do. The problem is one other reason I don't do a whole lot of scouting in the summer too is that this is the time where we, you know, are working on our computers pretty much all day every day and um, don't really have a whole lot of time to do it. So a lot of it is kind of just dependent on you know 
being there in season. And, and again, you know, I do believe that there's something to be said about taking, you know, a lot of effort into it there for a few years of off-season scouting and um, kind of just realized that a lot of what I ended up just doing anyway was looking for fresh sign in season. So and I don't hold a whole lot of weight on it, to be honest. But I, I feel like I could feel like I could kind of just like and go at all outside. I don't want to do that, but it's like I could almost just like not make it out at all. And, you know, really the hunting strategies would end up being pretty much exactly the same. So um, it's just a matter of, again, when I, when I think of scouting, I think of more of just in-season stuff because that's what really matters. Like if there's if there's fresh tracks on a trail, like they're going to be there. And if there's not, then they're probably not going to be there. <laughs> I just think that that's that to me just makes so much more of a difference now in my strategy that, you know, again, I, I'd probably spend more time just doing other outdoor activities if that was the case. And, you know, man, I would, I wish I could fish more. <laughs> <laughs> so probably do a little bit more of that, honestly. Yeah. Well, well Which, I don't know. Maybe that, I, I know that's different than, than like what other people say. And I, I think that that's okay. You know, I think some people hold a lot of value to it and it, it just varies from style to style a little bit. So I'm not, I would never discourage somebody from going to learn a property. I just always say, be careful getting too much specific in your head because that's a mistake I've made before of like, man, this is going to be smoking hot at this <laughs> time frame. You go in there and it's not, and then you waste a whole, you know, a whole day that you, you know, your valuable hunting time on a spot that's not, you know, not hot where maybe just down the, you know, maybe just down the ridge or, you know, a couple of ridges over, it is smoking hot because, you know, the food source changed that year or something. But yeah, hopefully that's making sense. No, it, it definitely is. Cause I, I've been, uh, I've made that mistake plenty of times myself, you know, scouted, yeah. scouted this time of year or postseason or, or whatever. And like you said, have pick out a spot that you just think is going to be jam up and you know, your <laughs> focus, put everything, all the chips in on that spot and you get in there and there's nothing happening. So, yeah. yeah. It's all right. It yeah, sounds that's discouraging. Yeah. It, it kind of hurts your confidence too, you know, and I don't, I don't, you know, I like confidence to be really high throughout the season and I'd rather, you know, I'd rather, you know, kind of still hunt and scout my way through an area all day and never really settle on, you know, a good spot versus commit to something, spend a whole afternoon or morning or whatever, a whole hunt on it and then be like, man, like, what do we do wrong there? You know, I and just kind of, get your confidence down i just feel like overall i feel better throughout the season when you know i'm just kind of hunting and, and we all do that i mean honestly it's like it, you mean you can look at all the video videos that we have over the last five years and you know we all mobile hunt every time like we're moving around looking for where you know we really believe we can get a buck inside a bow range and he's going to be doing that on this day not you know, two weeks ago. So that's, that's kind of what we kind of what our style is overall. Everybody's got little different tendencies within their styles, but you know, that's ultimately what we're all doing is looking for learning areas in the off season, learning how deer just generally move, getting real big picture stuff, generalizing a lot of things and then finding the specific in season. Okay. Well, let, let's touch on that then a little bit. Let's, let's say, you know, you've done your, you've done your scouting outside of season to maybe find an area, you know, going back to 
your trip to Ohio. You know, you you've looked over yep. these areas, you found some that that look good to you. How are you going to approach that come, you know, opening day or or the first day you get boots on the ground there to to hunt? You know, what specifically? I know, like you said, you guys tend to kind of scout your way in, which is something I'm trying to do a lot more of myself, and and yep. not not just. Yep not just have a spot in mind that I'm so focused on getting to that, you know, I, I walk right past the sign or, or stop before I get to the sign I should have, should have got to. So to talk about that. What, what exactly, or what specifically are, are you looking for? And how, how do you know when you get to that spot, you know? So basically everything kind of backtracks from where you think the deer are going to be bedded. So based off past scouting experiences and just past hunting experiences in general, uh, you know, I've already got betting locations or potential betting locations in mind. You know, they may have a handful of them. and um, They may be kind of scattered throughout the, the particular public land area that I'm looking at. But then generally what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to figure out which way the wind's blowing. Guess which beds out of that list of potential betting areas I think are going to be the highest odds beds that the deer are going to be using that day. because you can guess a lot about how deer are going to bed just based off of the wind direction. For example, in hilly country like I'm in Ohio, if I've got a a southeast and a coming over the top of that, I think those deer are probably going to be on that southeast side or, you know, just keeping the wind at their back. I don't necessarily think on a northwest wind that those deer are going to be on the northwest facing hillside with the wind hitting them right. They, they like to have the wind coming over the top and looking down the hill. So just looking at the wind, I can eliminate almost 50% of the entire piece of public land just because I don't think that the deer are going to bed with the wind in their face. Now, you know, there's a lot of like fine details that, you know, may switch, you know, may change my opinion on certain things, but just generally speaking, that's, that's as simple as it is. Like, look at a wind direction and, and just pick, well, you know, what minutes you think sods of bedding in that day. So then you pick a route in to where it's like, okay, I'm going to check out this location, which seems like a good pinch point between bedding areas or, you know, travel corridor between bedding areas or maybe like a, a food source just off of a bedding area. And a lot of times that's just t- taking taking a safe route, like, you know, the backside of a ridge where you're kind of hidden from the beds, um, or maybe the creek bottom where you can, you know, work kind of quiet down, you know, along the bottom and just kind of check sign coming out of those potential bedding areas. So, for example, if I think there's a finger ridge that deer are taking, you know, that finger ridge up to an oak stand, if I get to that oak stand up on the top and there's a bunch of buck rubs up there and a big scrape, it's like, okay, well, somebody's coming up here pretty frequently. Like, we probably better hole up here for the afternoon and just see what comes by, see what comes in here to feed, you know, especially if you get in there and acorns are raining and it seems like there's just a bunch of feeding sign and buck sign included in that. That's when I get super fired up, you know, pretty much any time in October, November. If you find that type of sign where you got buck sign, feeding sign, close to bedding, that's when I really start to kind of pump the brakes a little bit. Now, there's a heck of a lot of days where I go and I walk past, you know, five spots 
before I ever even see the sign that I'm looking at. Like I said earlier, I have more confidence and I feel like my confidence stays higher if I continue to move through the woods, scouting different areas and comparing different areas. Like, for example, you know, I may go past a spot where I'm like, you know, seems like there's maybe there's been a buck up here a little bit but you know that rub looks like pretty old like maybe a month old there's not a lot of feeding sign the acorns are kind of dried up in this area and then you go down the ridge a little bit more and you look at another spot and maybe there's another big group of oak trees that maybe have a little bit more acorn maybe there's a couple more rubs you're like "Ah, i'm still not feeling it then you move you know 300 400 yards further and then all of a sudden it's like oh okay here's the spot or maybe you never find it maybe everything kind of just looks less than ideal and you just say hey we're going to go to a different zone tomorrow we're going to go to a different piece of public land and check that tomorrow i feel more confident not even like ever setting up than setting up and not seeing anything because then it's like well i trusted that sign and then it didn't really pay off it's like there's a certain point where it's just so good that it's like this is it for sure. And, and what that looks like to me is just like a lot of buck sign. Now that varies based off of where I'm hunting because a lot of buck sign looks very different in Ohio than it does in Iowa. In Iowa, I'm expecting to see like tons of rubs, lots of big scrapes. And in Ohio, it may be a scrape, you know. So it just varies spot to spot, state to state, I mean, county to county for that matter, because if I was hunting in a different, you know, a different county in Ohio, it would probably look different than, you know, um, other areas that I've hunted in the state. So it just depends on your deer density. And a lot of that stuff, again, goes back to that summer, the summer scouting stuff where I'm getting an inventory by driving around the neighborhood. You know, if I was seeing a bunch of bucks in the summer in an area, for example, I would kind of hope to see a bunch of, you know, buck sign in that area once I was in there hunting, looking for the hot sign in season, because I know they're there. And when I find them, I know that there's going to be a lot of sign there, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And man, I I think that is one of the toughest things to do. And and I still, still fight it on these hunts is to keep moving, looking for that, that fresh sign, even when the clock's ticking, you know, you see, Man, yeah. I only got I only got a couple more hours before it gets dark. I really need to get up in a tree, and yeah. uh, it, it's it's tough. But yeah, I definitely I definitely think that's the right call. You know, if you if you don't find it, you don't find it, and like you said, you just shift gears and and do something different the next day. But that's yeah, uh, and you, you just you just really like you know I look at I look at one season in particular, and I, I use a quick example of like a hunt that I of a series of hunts that I had in Ohio, uh, Iowa, in, in, uh, I, the only reason, the only reason that this one comes to mind is that I literally just watched it the other night. So, um, I was hunting with, uh, Ted, I don't know. I was hunting with a bunch of people, I guess, in October in Iowa and it was bouncing around all these different spots. This is 2018. And, you know, up to this point, I was really just looking for high, a high concentration of deer in, ultimately bucks i guess as october continued to you know get later into the month i was thinking you know i really really am hoping to find like a high concentration of those which probably will lead me to bucks and i just wasn't really finding that you know it's kind of like what i was saying earlier everything i went to is like yeah you know there's some little bugs and 
you know, maybe a few scrapes here and there. And I'm sure, I'm sure I'm passing some good stuff. I, you know, I'm not going to say that you couldn't like dig real deep in some of these areas and find a big buck, but I was really looking for something that just jumped out at me as something special. And I hadn't really found it until I went into a spot with Ted and it was, I think the 27th or maybe even earlier than that, like it was somewhere between the 23rd and the 27th of October. And we went in there and like right out of the gate, it was like bucks, little bucks were moving around and everywhere we could, you know, glass from where we were standing at any given point, there was fresh rubs. It's like, okay, something else is going on here and other places that we've been hunting all season. But uh, yeah, basically there was just buck sign in, in every direction you could look. And we were already seeing little bucks and it was phenomenal weather. You know, it was nothing stand out, but it was like all of a sudden, boom, we had just hit that spot that just had so much more sign in it than anywhere we had been up to that point. It was like, okay, we're going to have to put some time in here. And I'll, you know, the short version of the story is we saw a bunch of little bucks and ended up seeing a, a, a really nice shooter buck and didn't get a shot at him that night. We we're kind of close and we went back and I didn't have anybody else to hunt with and Ted had to go to his buddy's wedding, which, you know, we'll, I'll still give him crap for that this day that <laughs> his buddy got married in October, late October, who is a deer hunter, by the way. The friend is a deer hunter. Oh, man. So... They, they went and they did that. Ted and I got the chance to go back in there then on the 29th of October. And we went in there and we went in on a canoe. And before it even got daylight, there was bucks chasing does across the creek we were riding the canoe in. And we, it got daylight and there was bucks. We were stuck in the canoe. We couldn't go any further because there were deer, so many deer running around us. <laughs> as it gets daylight, a big buck is tending to go just off the creek, like literally standing at 40 to 50 yards with this doe. And we're just sitting there frozen on a, on a canoe. And in Iowa, you can't shoot from a canoe. So we were just stuck, you know? So we ended up seeing this buck and um, ended up working off at the doe. And Ted, <laughs> this is kind of a weird side story, but Ted, Ted ended up going to Missouri because he was going to go hunt there. And he actually, that's the, the hunt where he shot a really big buck down in Missouri. He went down there, but he was bummed because we were on this big buck and he had to leave. Well, Jake, he left. Jake came in to, to film me and we went in and moved in on this buck and ended up seeing him and that other shooter that we had seen back, you know, when Ted and I were in there the first time and they were chasing this doe and it was just like, things were just insane in there. And we didn't end up getting them that night. And I went back um, a third day with Logan. He was filming me that time. And we ended up seeing, you know, the same big buck again. And that night ended up killing a third big buck that we hadn't even seen up to this point. And that was following a doe. So <laughs> the point of this story is, is that we had covered all this ground all over the public land that we hunt. And we had not found this type of sign that we were looking for. But then all of a sudden, at that point in the you know, tail end of the month, we finally found it. And it was just like things had just exploded. There was just a super high density of deer and bucks in that area. And obviously, as you get closer to November, when more does are getting close to coming into estrus, then you're just 
probably, well, you're just more than likely pulling more bucks into that area too. So I think, you know, there was a lot of does, which ultimately just brought a lot of bucks into that area. And when you found it, it's just like, it's hard to explain because you probably only, I mean, I only ever find it a handful of times a year at best, like maybe, maybe one or two times a year. And my buddies usually are about the same thing where it's like, you just hit that spot. And it's like, well, this is a no brainer. This is it. I literally will continue to move day in and day out until I find that. And when I, when you find it, honestly, it generally is like no more than two days until you end up getting an opportunity. And that, that's, that's super broad because it looks a lot of different ways. Uh, but it happened to Ted last year. He was hunting in an area in a river bottom where he went in there in mid November up to this point, he'd been kind of struggling a little bit, not seeing a ton of stuff, and um, ended up going into the spot, and there was just bucks everywhere, bucks cruising left and right. And he was seeing so many bucks that it was just like, well, there's no way I'm not coming back in here tomorrow. And sure enough, he went back in the next morning and shot a buck. So, you know, when you find it and it's hot, it doesn't always look exactly the same, but there's generally just like – pretty surprising amount of buck sign and that's again very general but you know you kind of I always like to think that you kind of have an idea of what a lot of buck sign looks like in your hunting area and when you find that if you just trust that sign you can get yourself into a good spot with the wind in your favor you're going to be all right you're probably going to see some bucks yeah yeah and you know if you guys had uh had stopped you know previously or, or got stuck on you know, some, some subpar sign and, and just yeah. stayed focused on that. You would have, you would have never had those experiences and yep, exactly. seen that that's, level that's of activity. Exactly right. Yeah. And that's, and that's just something that, you know, again, I've had days where I was hunting, I was hunting mobile in 2016, but not at the mobile level that I feel like we all are now where there was, there was days in November of 2016 where we sat all day over sign that, you know, I look back on now that just, it just wasn't it. It just wasn't fresh. And, you know, as you get closer and closer to, um, you know, kind of the peak of the rut, the, the amount of sign, or I, I guess, I guess the amount of bucks that are in an area is going to be kind of dependent on success, I suppose. Cause like, I'm not really the type of guy that likes to get just on a good trail that I know at some point in a week deer are going to use. Like I want to go in, to a hunt and it'd be a good hunt because I know that I'm on good sign or I want to continue to move until I find that. I just don't like sitting around waiting because if you sit around and wait, you're just you're just hoping you're not you're not really putting yourself in the highest odd spot. And that works. I mean that definitely works. But when I look back on good hunts that I've had or my friends have had, it, it's always kind of the same story. Something happens where you finally find that spot and it's just like, well, it's no brainer. You're seeing bucks moving. You're seeing the big sign. You're seeing a whole bunch of sign. You're seeing a high density of sign and you know, you just commit to it. You just trust it. And, and that's when I can pump my brakes and be patient. But until then I don't have much patience for anything that's subpar. I just don't have it. I just don't have it at all. It's like, I'm, I'll keep moving, you know, I'll move all day until I get started. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess, how, how do you, I don't know if saying how do you overcome is the, is the right word, but I guess when I, when I think about that, when I, and the thing that crosses my mind when I'm doing that, when I'm, when I'm moving and, and trying to find that sign, you know, I'm scouting my way in 
it's always in my head, man, what I'm going to bump some deer. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bump these deer out of here. I'm going to push too far. And how do you get past that? I mean, you just don't worry about it or does that? Um, Yeah. I mean, it's it's the easiest way to put it is you don't worry about it. I mean, there's certain, there's a certain level of experience that I've got to with, with it. Like, you know, I'm not off the ground only. Like, uh, if I'm, if I'm the one with the tag, I'm not getting into a tree unless, unless I think I can get a visual advantage to where I can spot something and then make a stop. But, um, you know, I'm not just going to necessarily go into the timber and just, you know, it's like, I guess exactly that. I'm not ever going to just go into a solid stand of timber and, and put up a stand. It's just not, it's just not my style. I don't, I don't really enjoy that. I've realized I enjoy hunting off the ground so much more that, um, that that's just what I'm always going to do uh, if I'm the one as the hunter. So, with that being said, I've, I've got a lot of experience moving through the woods to where I feel confident in my ability to, you know, get away with it more than when I first started doing it. And, that, and the only way, the best way I can tell somebody to like get there is just to try and fail. You know, you're going to bump deer. Don't get me wrong. You're going to bump deer. But also bumping deer isn't always a bad thing. There's been a lot of situations in where we've bumped deer and then we've killed big bucks because we bumped them you know like there's been a, actually quite a few situations where we've bumped bucks as you know as a whole group been a lot of situations where we've bumped big bucks and then we've shot them because that's how we found them you know it sounds so silly but you know if you don't know one's there you know you're confident it's kind of hard to be confident that it even exists but once you see him no matter how you do that now you at least know he's there now, a lot of people run, tra- I guess, the modern way of doing it. And what most, honestly, what you're, most of your average guys are doing is, is running trail cameras. And I haven't ran a trail camera. I mean, I've never even owned a trail camera of my own, to be honest. I just kind of something that I personally don't like doing. And I, I don't, I just don't do it. I, I now, don't get me wrong, I'll look at my buddy's trail camera pictures that, and just like learn general, you know, stuff from those pictures. But, I never have used a trail camera to find a big buck or to target a big buck. I just go purely off of sign and just what my instincts are telling me about an area or just visuals, right? And I learned, and I also learned a lot of my style too from listening to um, uh, Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Adrenaline talk about a lot of this stuff. Um, just over the years, I've listened, like, especially when I first started getting into ground hunting, the reason I did was because that's what he did or that's what they do on their videos. I just thought that looked so fun. And, you know, I had all these same similar questions where it's like, well, what about bumping deer? Well, aren't you just going to bump all the deer? And aren't you just going to like, you know, how do you, you know, what, what do you do about sign? And it's like, I guess the more you go try and you go fail, you know, you don't, you start to feel, figure out what you can get away with. And then also um, covering that ground has helped me find the buck that I'm looking for more times than not. So, you know, even if I am bumping those deer, it may be a reason that I even, you know, no one's in the area. Like I think of the one, the one that comes to mind just because we just talked about it too, was Aaron shot one a couple years ago, that really big buck in Iowa, 2020. Um, he shot that buck because he bumped it. Like he bumped that deer, walking in to, you know, hunting an area, scouting his way in. It was really windy. 
he bumped a buck and all of a sudden, you know, now he knows there's a big buck in this area and he just hunted that area for, I think maybe two or three more hunts before he got him. And, you know, had he not bumped that deer, he wouldn't have got it. Like I've done that in Nebraska twice where I've bumped a buck that I ended up shooting and I've done it in Ohio. My buddies have done it in Ohio. Um, done it in Iowa several times, you know, it's just a matter of like, Oh, and the other thing is too, I think, I mean, I don't think I just kind of feel like I, I believe this at this point is that, um, we as hunters have been trained since we first started that bumping deer is the worst thing that you can do. And the more that I hunt, the more I just realize that it's not as affecting as much as we think. Now, if you're expecting a deer to walk out onto, you know, a food source in broad daylight, yeah, you don't want to go bumping them off that because they, they, they probably are going to leave it. But like, if you're bumping a deer out of, you know, thick cover, I think that they just kind of view that as like a little bit of a, a success, right? It's like their bed work, but that might help you find their bedding area. You know? And that's, I mean, that's exactly what's happened like many times to us. So, you know, spooking deer, I just, I, I kind of think of it one really good way to get over it is just to start thinking of it as a positive, you know, now you know where something is. And, um, I really, really think that that's true. And I know that's like, that's probably one of the most oddball things that as a group we, we, we believe compared to like the rest of, you know, hunting media, you know, or hunters in general. It's like, I don't know a whole lot of people, and, and, but the people that I do know that, that believe that are, you know, really successful, like not worrying about bumping deer because, you're like almost viewing it as a good thing. Yeah. Well, you can't argue with success. So, yeah. yeah. I, um, I, I, just curious now, how, how, uh, how far from these beds do you guys have, have you typically ended up killing these deer? I mean, are you killing them, you know, right there in the, in the area where you initially jumped them or just, you know, maybe somewhere in the, in the general vicinity or, how, let how me rattle off a few, let me rattle off a few stories because I feel like these yeah. are the best ways to learn. Absolutely. Um, this this is how I like this is how I like to take the note just a direct example. So the very first year that we were in Nebraska, we had been hunting different areas and you know, we were seeing some deer, but we just couldn't quite close the distance and we, we kept driving past this little spot that we thought looked good. You know, it just looked like it had the right amount of habitat. So we went in targeting or, or trying uh, the entire goal was to bump the deer out of this spot. We were doing a bow drive. We were just going to see, we were basically taking inventory. You know, this is how us folks with no trail cameras take inventory <laughs> as we pumped out. We, you know, we blew out this bedding area on purpose. Now, you know, this is early season too. I guess that's one thing to keep in mind. So I wasn't, so I, I guess the reason I note that is, is when you find a rub and, you know, mid-September, which is when it was, then you know it's fresh because they haven't had their velvet off in very long, right? Just like a couple weeks top. So, like, you find a bunch of fresh rubs, you know that they're using this right now. So, I go into this bedding area, and I'm driving it towards Jake and Brody, and they're set up uh, with the wind in their favor, but I'm kind of blowing it through, like, just trying to wind bump these deer. So, I go down through the bedding area, and 
going zigzagging through and like everywhere I look, there's beds everywhere. And in the beds, there's a bunch of these fresh rubs on little saplings and willows and stuff like that. Sure enough, I get to kind of the back corner of this little bedding area. It's only maybe a 10 acre patch of just like very diverse habitat where you got kind of some willowy, grassy CRP, some cottonwoods mixed into it, a little bit of wetland type stuff, just a little bit of like, uh, I guess like a little old, almost just like a little creek channel, but like something that was man-made almost. And uh, that was just loaded with bucks on it. I get to the back corner of it and I bump a buck out and I watch it run. I mean, well away from the guy I'm trying to bump him to, which, you know, is always <laughs> always an expectation when you're doing a boat drive. But I watched him run out the backside of it, and he runs all the way up and over a hill. The whole time he's running away, I'm like, dang, like that's a that's a pretty nice buff. So we gave it a day for the rest of that day, the whole next day, and then we decided on, you know, two days from, from when I bumped him that we were going to go in there and hunt. Well, we went in there in the morning. We saw... All the uh, okay, so sorry. Side note: I also bumped a spike and a doe um, out of there as well that, that we saw. So we know there was at least a shooter buck, a spike, and a doe in this bedding area. So we went back there two mornings from when we bumped the deer, and we spotted the, the spike and the doe right in the same exact areas, like literally going to these same exact beds that I bumped them out of. So it's like, okay, well, probably a decent chance he's over there in that bed. So we didn't see him, and then that afternoon we saw a small buck, and we're like, you know, man, pretty good action in there. Like, we probably ought to go back in there and try it again the, the next morning. So sure enough, we go in there, and I was hunting with Jake, and we get into the into – the, we're actually in a tree stand. This is the last, I think this is the last buck I shot from a tree stand. Um, we're in a real low setup to where we could just get a shot over the grass. And before daylight, we heard a deer come into the bedding area and start milling around. And as it was getting daylight, we could kind of see the brush moving around where he was kind of moving and, you know, making rubs or whatever he was doing. You could just kind of see that there was some, there was some life over there. And eventually it kind of got out in the middle of the, the tall vegetation into the bedding, bedding area and he just stopped moving around. So we stayed patient and the wind started picking up at about, eight or eight thirty and right about that time he stood up and started making rubs and like this now you can really tell like he's aggressively rubbing a tree and he started kind of milling around that bedding area we got eyes on him and he ended up circling right into our setup 10 yards away looking the other way made a perfect shot on him we got that buck so that was a great example of bumping a deer and within i guess Let's just say, I, man, okay, so I shot that buck on the 20th of September, and on the 19th, we saw a lot of deer. On the 18th, we didn't hunt in there, and on the 17th, we bumped him. So 17th, bumped him, then hunted 18th, saw, you know, all his buddies in the bedding area on the 18th, and then shot him, the same buck I bumped out of there on the 19th. So, you know, just because you bump a deer doesn't mean that he's not going to be right back in there in a handful of days, you know. Now, it looks a lot different in different areas, too. You know, maybe they're, you know, utilizing more bedding areas um, or whatever. But just because you bump him in that spot doesn't mean that he's, he's gone. Another one was very similar. The very next year, we went into this bedding area. or I'm sorry. We drove into this piece of public land that we had never hunted before. And 
there's a there's like an access road that just goes right through the middle of the thing. And on our way in there, we thought, man, we better turn around. Like our our it's pretty sandy, pretty loose sand. Like you know, didn't seem like a real quality road to be driving down. So we <laughs> so we decided to turn around. And as we decided to turn around, a doe jumps up out of the bedding area and a small buck. And as we're like just pulling away. And the engine kind of revs as we're going up the hill. A big buck jumps out of that same bedding area. Well, we're like, man, like that's pretty wild. Like they're probably not going to go that far because they bumped from our vehicle, and it's not like they smelled us hunting or saw us in a setup or whatever. So we ended up just going back to a spot to park just out of sight, you know, out of sight. Went in there and we watched the, the small buck come right back in there that night. Like we watched him and filmed him. The same exact buck we had just spooked with the truck came right in there. Fast forward a couple days, and we went right back into that same area. And because we knew how they were bedded in there, we had really high confidence to go peek in there from a higher elevation than where the beds were, glass down in there. And I just started using my binos. I was just laying on my belly, laying on that that access road, and Another key key point of this is there was no fresh tire tracks um, in there when we went back, you know, a few days later. This is, I think, also like three days later from when we bumped them originally. And we were just up on that little spot glassing, and the wind blew just right, and the sun was shining into the bed, and I saw his antlers of a big buck laying in his bed. And that's then I ended up crawling up and crawled right to him in his bed. I was 19 yards from him and shot him and got him right when he stood up out of his bed. So <laughs> that's, that's another example of, you know, bumping a buck. And then, then uh, Aaron, I told, I briefly told the story. There's a bunch of, that, that, the hunt of Aaron's is one of the coolest ones that we've ever had where he, he uh, shot that buck that he had bumped to. That was in 2020 in Iowa. I'm sure if I really sat here and thought about it, I'd come up with much more, but there's one more that I'll tell probably briefly as well. I was hunting in Ohio uh, with my friend Ben, and we targeted a specific bed that we thought would be good, and we went into that area and ended up bumping a buck. And we watched him run away, and you could just tell that he didn't really seem too bothered by it. You could tell he knew something was up, but I think that the other deer that he was with was the one that actually picked up on getting a visual on us and ran. So he just ran and followed. Well, we kind of just got to looking at the map and we're like, okay, if we bumped him from this spot, this spot that he ran towards looks pretty dang similar to this spot as far as terrain goes. So we basically just thought, you know, if he liked it over here, why wouldn't he just be right over there on that same exact terrain feature about 300, about 300 yards away? So to your original question, like how far, you know, I would say generalizing it all, 300 to 500 yards is kind of common. And it depends, too, because like, you know, if you're in open country, it may be, you know, like like where I grew up in western Ohio or where I'm driving right now in Nebraska. I mean, it may be two miles till there's the next, you know look a lot different based off of how much cover there is but if you've got really quality habitat kind of throughout the parcel i would say that generally speaking you know a couple hundred yards or 
you know, just using your your past scouting knowledge too. Like, okay, if I bumped him from this bed and I know there's another bed up there, you know, just 200 yards up and he wasn't spooked that hard. He didn't smell me. He just maybe heard something and kind of got out of there. You know, he's probably just right up in this next spot. So a lot of that's just kind of using your instinct and your past scouting, your past just deer bedding knowledge in general. And that's what we did in this situation in Ohio. We knew that he ran towards a very similar terrain feature that what he had just been on. So we just made a big loop around that. And when we made that loop around, we got the wind in our favor and we started to cut into where we thought he would be. And as we were making moves in there, we started seeing a bunch of fresh feeding sign under oak trees. And there was a few rubs here and there. And we just eventually got to right where we thought we were just out of sight from where he would, where we, you know, he was bedding in theory. We set up. And with about 45 minutes of daylight left, I kid you not, man, that buck came right off of that exact spot where we thought he was and walked straight <laughs> to us, feeding on acorns. and shot him at, shot him with a gun with, at 40 yards, feeding on acorns. He had no idea we were there. And it was just like, you know, couldn't, that's probably one of the ones that I'm the most proud of because it's like, you know, you go from like pretty much the lowest to blow where you bump the big, you know, and at that point we've been struggling a lot. We bumped the biggest buck we'd seen in, you know, potentially weeks. And, you know, you're pretty low at that point. But if you keep a positive attitude and, you know, you just use your gut and trust that, hey, I at least no one's there now. And I remember Ben and I talking about that. It's like, you know, it sucks. But, at the, you know, up to this point, we hadn't even really confirmed that we were on a buck. You know, and because we jumped him is exactly the reason we killed him. So, you know, there's there's pros and cons to it for sure. But that those are just some examples. I mean, I I could continue to go on and on about that because there's a lot of situations like kind of the 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 hip term for it is bump and dump. You know, <laughs> like that's that's what the cool kids are saying. You yeah. know? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's cool. I'll definitely, uh, you know, try to try to have more confidence when I'm out there, and and not worry so much about uh, you know bumping these deer. Obviously, like you said, you you know you take your precautions and and don't. Uh, in most cases, you're not you're not going in there uh, intentionally doing it, but you know. No, no, but but I'll but I'll give a I'll, I will say a situation in which I wouldn't do it or want to or I would be a little bit more concerned about it. It's like if I so my grandpa has two 80 acre properties and I don't, I don't hunt them. I haven't hunted them for years since I moved to Iowa. I haven't hunted them just because I, that's when I went and decided I was going to have public land all the time. But if I was going to go back and hunt that, for example, and I thought there was, you know, and I was targeting maybe a couple bucks or a buck or something, you know, I wouldn't necessarily want to go in there and put a whole bunch of unnecessary pressure on an area. That's when I would pick and choose a little bit more, you know, uh, better condition day to go do that. Or if I'm looking for the fresh sign, I'm going to really want to know, you know, exactly what I'm going to go look at versus going, you know, I'm not going to be going in blind there. So right. I'm going to play things a lot slower and a lot safer than when I'm hunting this big piece of public land with, you know, infinite opportunities to go to plan B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, in the next couple of days, it's like, if I mess something up or, or if I don't see what I want in those areas and I just go to the next spot, but on this 80 acre par- parcel, I'm not, as, I'm not as likely to just go bombing around in there looking for stuff, hunting super aggressive because for one, if he runs, you know, 
three hundred yards to a different bedding area, that may not be on the property that I can hunt. So I don't want to bump them around as much as I do when I've got like these big tracks of land like on public land. It's a little bit different, but um, you know. So I, I will say, you know, everything that I'm doing is my situation and my style. You know, I only hunt public land. I only hunt from the ground. And maybe that's not what you do. So I always say in all of hunting, the best things that you can do, we can talk strategy all day and it's going to help. It's going to help us learn from each other's experiences. At the end of the day, you got to go get experience. That way you can have those gut, you know, those gut feelings and, and have that confidence that, hey, this is going to work. And your situation is going to, you know, always look a little bit different. Your style is going to look a little bit different than your buddies. And, your neighbors and you know so on and so on because it's just you know everybody's got a little bit of a different style ability time hunt, whatever so whatever you're listening to me or anybody from thp for that matter like you know just remember we have our own style that works for us and i think that it's really important to go do what you enjoy as much as anything i guess for those listening it's like go do what you enjoy and what you feel confident in because it may not look exactly the same for you Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You gotta, like you said, you gotta find what works for you. Um, we just, uh, or, or I just like to get, you know, get, and that's the thing, you know, having these podcasts, you know, I have guys on here that, that are super successful and, and they may hunt completely different than one another. So totally. yeah, there's, there, yeah, there's no, totally. there's no one way to do this right. That's for sure. Uh, just, uh, no, and I think, I think that's just always one of the most interesting things about like, cause I do a podcast too. And, you know, you listen to all these different strategies and stuff, and it's like I always just, I always just try to like to take, you know, the little pieces and just continue to like uh, expand my tool set, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I listen to somebody that you know has a couple different ideas on glassing, and I may start treating my my time from a glassing point a little bit different, or you know, somebody hunts scrapes, you know, really, really, you know, hardcore about hunting scrapes, like. You know, maybe that helps me make a decision in the field once I hear their experiences. And that, that is where I get the most value is just hearing those experiences. And like, well, oh, it worked for that guy one time. You know, maybe it'll work for me this time. You know, it'll help boost your confidence. But, but anyway. I guess, you know, you've, talk, you've talked a good bit about hunting from the ground and, and how you kind of transitioned to, to being a ground hunter, mobile hunter. What... uh what advice or, or words of wisdom would you give a listener who may be interested in, in giving that a try? I think the, the biggest thing is just knowing that, you know, deer's vision is a lot of that is just based off movement, which, you know, you hear that forever. And I mean, so is ours, you know, it's like, if you're sitting in the woods looking for, if you're, you know, go out and have your buddy hide from you in the woods and look for him. It's like, so it's a lot easier if he's moving his hands around or whatever to find him than if he's sitting there still. And, and deer are the same way, but even but even more so. Like you'd be standing in the wide open with the deer, you know. Generally speaking, like you know, you can't be in the complete wide open, but have very minimal cover and not move. And you know, deer really don't see that well. I mean, they're they're really got pretty poor eyesight compared to us. And the only way they're going to see you is if you're moving around. So. You know, just knowing how to get away with with your movements, start to learn that, test it with other deer. You know, if you've got a deer in range and it's a non-target deer that you're not trying to shoot, 
just see what you can get, you know, start to try to really take note of what you can get away with. And um, also just go out and try, you know, the biggest, the biggest thing that holds us back is just the, the fear of getting out of our comfort zone. And, you know, it was really uncomfortable when I first started doing it, because like I said, I started watching in 2015, I started watching Whitetail Adrenaline DVDs and I'm like, like, dude, this is it. Like, this looks fun. To me. <laughs> and what these guys are doing is just so cool. And, and I didn't know how to start. How I started was I just did it. You know, I don't know how to say it other than that. It's like we just started with like a basic ground setup, you know, where we thought we had enough cover and, and we set up on the ground. Actually, we didn't even see, our, I don't even know that we saw a deer on the very first time I ever set, like on purpose set up on the ground. But as I continued to do it, gained confidence in it then it just continued to evolve to the point where like i feel confident in every condition i feel confident in every you know situation whether that be big timber or open country um you know whatever it is you just continue to build your confidence and, and you know the other thing is too is deer definitely like a lot i guess kind of along the lines of just tricking them a little bit of with you know not moving like you can also trick deer by making them think that you are a deer. Like a lot of the time when I'm moving around, I try to still sound like a deer because you can call a lot of deer in, especially on the right conditions. Like if you've got really a light breeze, the wind's in your favor, and you can still hear stuff moving around in the woods. If you're playing your cards right, and you're going slow enough, you can you should be able to hear a deer before it hears you. But if you can't, then you're going too fast, you know, or you're, you're move, making your moves too fast. So I always think of it as just like, I'm going slow enough and I'm trying to sound like a deer and I'm listening a lot, you know, while I'm checking out these different areas, like I'm always in the game. I don't have to just, just be in a tree set up, ready to go with my bow on the hanger or, or even, or even tucked away in a bush you know, set up on the ground for that matter. I don't have to be in a setup to kill a deer. If you're moving around and you're taking your time and you're just, you know, checking out different areas on along the way to potentially set up in, you're always in the game. You're always hunting. And, you know, I think that's, that's one of the advantages of it is you just kind of maximize your time hunting because you're always hunting. You're never, you know, in the woods just you know, looking for sign to set up on later, like you're actively hunting while you're looking for the best spots out there. So, yeah. you know, I think it's, I think it's all, I think it's all, uh, well, the other thing too, I guess one other tip is, is like, if you're, if you're not having fun, whatever you're doing, like whatever it is, the style that you're doing, if you're not having fun, like don't worry about making mistakes. Don't worry about, you know, missing a chance on a big buck because it's like if you're not having fun and you're not getting out of it what you want to switch it up and that's what happened to me is i i started thinking in 2016 i had a season where it was like day in and day out i was doing these all-day sits in the middle of november in iowa and i was lugging this tree stand into the woods and setting it up in the dark and i pull it down in the dark at the end of the day I'd walk all the way out of there and it was just wearing me out mentally because it's like all day you sit there, you can't move, and most of the time you're not seeing anything. And you know, for a couple hours at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, it's pretty dang fun. But for the most part, in the middle of the day, it can get pretty boring. And yeah. you know, I, I started thinking to myself, like, man, I don't, you know, I don't like deer hunting nearly as much as I like turkey hunting. And I, I 
know, I always thought, well, that's just because I move around so much more when I'm turkey hunting. It's so much more active. I started doing that with deer, and now I think deer hunting is just as fun as as turkey hunting because I'm getting out of it what I want to, not just what everybody else wanted me to do, you know? And, yeah. And yeah. just took that plunge, and, man, I'm, I'm not looking back. It's like I'm having more fun, and I'm honestly way more successful now, too, because I probably because I am having more fun and more confidence, you know? Now you said you said you try to sound like a deer as you're moving through the woods. Is that just in your the cadence of your steps or or how are you doing that? Cadence of steps. Um, you know, if I get to a little spot, like let's say let's say it's first light and I'm kind of still hunting my way through an area. Um, you know, if I hit a if I hit a patch of cover that I think looks pretty good and I want to take a minute to just kind of sit there and listen, watch, I mean try to mimic a scrape sound or a rub sound, you know, bugs make a lot of noise and, and they're obviously really territorial as you get closer and closer to the rut, but they'll respond to other bucks in their area any time of the season, you know, from early September all the way to, you know, late January in some areas. It's like, you can, you can always mimic a buck and he's going to be like, who's over there, you know? Uh, it doesn't really matter when. Now, I would say I put more focus on it when they're, you know, when the testosterone levels are high in, you know, late October to end of November, that's generally when it's the craziest. But, you know, any time of the year, I'm just trying to sound like a deer. I mean, to do that, a lot of it is cadence. You know, the deer doesn't go one, two, one, two, one, two, but that's what our feet do when we walk. It's the deer has four legs so it's going to sound a lot different and if you really focus on how a deer sounds it's kind of where our feet don't do that unless we make them do that so one way that i do it is like a heel toe which you hear about a lot so you get that like one two one two one two one two one two one two and that sounds like four legs walking another way that you can do it is stop a lot you know deer don't Generally, unless you're dealing with a cruising buck, which is a very small time of the year or of the season, is they don't usually just walk straight line very often. I mean, a lot of times they're kind of walking through, they're stopping, they're listening, they're checking for danger, they're checking for other deer. You know, they stop and listen a lot. So if you're doing what, you know, if you're moving through the woods trying to be a deer, you're doing your job, then you're listening as much as you're moving. So if you think you're around here or if you're kind of moving through an area and maybe trying to find a good place to stop and set up in the morning, you're moving around and listening. There's really, really, I mean, I can't stress this enough. Still hunt in like really windy or really wet conditions. And while that can work really well for, you know, hiding your sounds, like then it's hard to hear deer. And I like to be able to hear deer. So if it's calm, I like to think that I can move slow enough. Now I don't, you know, I obviously fail at this. It's not 100% success, but it's like, but it's like, I like to think if I'm doing it correctly, then I'm going to hear the deer before it hears me. So, you know, just trying to sound like a deer with your steps, and then also like when I get to a spot where okay, I got a little bit of cover here, I could probably hang out here, listen, give it five, ten minutes before I move up to the next little you know, spot or to check out or whatever. You know, I got some shooting lanes here. A lot of times I'll just take my feet in the leaves and make a mock scrape. 
and I'm not making a mock scrape because I'm trying to get a buck to come to this spot and make a scrape. I'm making a mock scrape to try to sound like a buck making a scrape. Right. Because that's a call. You know, that that's to me, that's as valuable as a ground call. And a lot of times shake a tree and just kind of sound like a rake in a tree. If you've ever heard a deer make a rub, it's, it's pretty loud. You know, they get pretty aggressive on them a lot of times, especially a big buck. And we've had that work a lot. And then we also, you know, light, do a lot of light grounds. Just, you know, again, taking past experiences when I've heard bucks kind of moving around, how they grunt. A lot of times the buck will grunt right before he starts walking. He'll be standing there looking, listening, and then he just he kind of lets out a little grunt right as he starts to walk. And I think you know, diving way deep into deer communication, like there's a reason he's doing that at that time. And then there's a reason you consistently hear those sounds come out of deer at specific times. It's not like, you know, if you really, really, really pay attention to when they're doing stuff, all the sounds they make combined that's when I'm calling the deer. That's when I feel excited about calling the deer. It's like, you're really building a scene then, you know, it's like if you were to, to rattle to a buck and, you know, you're on the ground making a bunch of noise, like that sounds pretty dang realistic versus, you know, rattling from a tree stand on a calm day. If there's no ground noise, it doesn't sound very real. Right. So I just yeah. try to kind of maximize all those sounds. And I really, really pay attention, not just when I'm in the woods, but also when I'm watching hunting videos, like, what are some consistencies when that uh, of the sounds that deer are making when they're moving through the woods and communicating with each other? And I just, I'm not, you know, as probably most hunters, I'm fascinated by that. But how can I mimic that and use it to, to make me trick a deer? You know? Yeah, that's good stuff. And what when you do get ready to set up, uh, whether it be for you know just a few minutes or or you know, if you're going to decide to set up in an area for, for the duration of the hunt uh, on the ground, um, wh- what are you looking for in a, in a setup spot? How are you, how are you concealing yourself? How are you, you know, how are you able to draw? What's, what's that look like? That's a, that's a really good question. I think that there's, there's two major things that, you know, I, I really like, and I, only, I, I kind of generalize with saying vertical and horizontal cover. So, Vertical cover can be anything from, you know, grass to a big tree. Horizontal cover, I guess, can also be, I guess, like grass or bushes. But it's just something that you can kind of use as as something to break you up. If you got both vertical and horizontal, the shapes of your body blend with them really well. Versus if you've just got vertical cover, you know, there's angles that deer can see you and you don't blend in. If you're standing up against a tree, for example, that may work for one direction. And 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 we've killed deer just simply standing against a tree. Like, don't get me wrong, it can work. But you have to, in that situation, you have to be committed to one direction. But if I want to set up and I want 360 cover, I want to be able to have deer come in basically from any trail, any direction, then I want that vertical and horizontal. And vertical cover, like a tree, only works for that one direction because if it comes in from a different direction, it's just a human standing against a tree. You know what I mean? It just doesn't look right at all. But if you compare that with like, a da- uh, let's say a tree top or a down tree in general being your horizontal cover, and then right beside that is a vertical tree. Well, now you got both. You've got a horizontal and vertical cover. And if you imagine a human sitting down between that down tree and that, you know, vertical standing tree, is like, yeah, 
that's something that brings you up. So when I'm looking through, I'll use an example of like a big timber setting. Let's say I'm looking at big open timber. You know, that's like that's like a, a favorite of tree stand hunters. Like, well, if I got open timber and I got no like not a lot of ground vegetation, but then I just get into a tree stand and I get out of sight. What I'm look what I'm looking for in that situation is I just scan my eyes across the landscape and I look at big clumps of things. You know, a lot of times again, looking about a downed tree, a bush, a um, let's think here, really just I guess anything that just kind of is a is like a blob in your vision if that makes sense. Just something yeah. that like you're not gonna look into and try to find all the details of. That's, what, that's how deer bed, right? They bed in places where we can't just look right into it and see them laying there. That's kind of what I'm looking for in a ground setup. So I want to look at a spot where, you know, you can't just look right in there and easily see what's in that spot. And the best spots you know, to set up that I've found have, again, that, both that vertical and horizontal. And um, Another thing that I really like or a couple, like, tips that I have for being on the ground is, like being be in a spot where you can stand up that helps your visibility now i don't want to stand up the entire time necessarily but let's say i'm in i used that example earlier of the down tree next to the big tree that's standing so i may be able to in that setup stand up against that big tree and look over my horizontal cover that's up close as soon as i see or hear a deer coming from just out of range i can easily crouch down and get into position where now I'm really concealed. Now I'm down at a level where I keep my eyes just high enough up where I can see that deer's antlers or its ears, if it's a doe, and just base my moves off of that body language. Like, if you can see where a deer's head's facing, then you know what you can kind of get away with. Like, obviously, if the deer's is facing the other way, you, can, you know, you can draw your bow, you know kind of readjust in your setup if you need to. But if you can't see it's if you can't see how it's reacting, then um, it's gonna be a lot harder to make those moves and, and bucks give you a huge advantage because they have antlers, you know. It's like yeah. you can be way lower than their eyes can see and just be reading their antlers. And that's that's a way that I've shot several bucks is just reading antlers while the deer are coming in. And um, you know, again I kinda like the I like to be up high standing up or up on my knees any way that i can like kind of be a little bit more comfortable and maximize my visibility get my head up so i can hear well over that cover and everything but then as things start to play out then i can easily just slowly crouch into that air into that spot and i mean i've been i've been really effective and confident doing that just you know playing that in the moment just not afraid to move. And, and again, that comes back with experience. Like you start to learn what you can and can't get away with. But I really like sinking into a setup if that makes sense. Like, you know, I'm up standing. It's like, oh, there's one right there. Hey, here he comes. You know, and I slowly slow down or, or sit down and get into my set, setup. I get my bow ready, ready to draw in there. It's just reading ears and antlers, you know, seeing how they're reacting. And then one other tip, major tip, or two, I guess, two little things is just make sure you got a clear spot. So whenever you're setting up or whether it be five minutes or, you know, you know, the whole day, make sure you understand how, you know, how you're going to move within that setup quietly. One thing that I always do is I always make that like mock scrape. Every time I set up, 
I always clear out um, a spot where I can move on the ground. I'm just moving on bare dirt. So let's say I'm set up looking more to my left and all of a sudden I hear something to my right and I look over and it's, and it's a target deer, something I want to shoot, but I'm not really set up. It, I'm not, my body's not necessarily oriented in the right direction. Maybe, you know, maybe my knees are more facing to the left and it's going to be really hard to get a shot off to my hard right in that position. Well, if I've got just bare dirt underneath me, I can move completely silently. And if I've got that horizontal cover in front of me, I can probably bend all the way over and stay really low and do that without being spotted. So not only am I quiet, I can also move within that setup because I've got that horizontal cover. And then last thing is no matter if you're in a tree or on the ground, draw your bow, like do it obsessively. Like I, I don't know that I've ever hunted with somebody that draws their bow as much as me. Like <laughs> you gotta be drawing your bow because if you don't, all of a sudden you're going to be surprised when, you know, you go to draw and your right arm, you know, if you're righty, you know, your, your arm on the string, you know, bumps into a tree behind you. Maybe it bumps into that vertical cover that you have. Maybe you're in a tree stand and it just gets caught on your safety strap. Maybe, you know, you don't realize that that front cover in front of you is, you know, right where your arm is going to go when you draw your bow. And that's going to prevent so many mistakes. I mean, I can't stress that enough. And it's, and it's, it's still going to mess me up because at some point I'm going to get lazy with it and I'm going to make a mistake because of it. But if that's always going through your head, draw your belt, draw your belt, draw your belt, draw your belt. I think there's two benefits on it. One, you always know where you're at in relation to everything else in your setup. And two, it keeps you fresh. So if it's cold and all of a sudden, you know, it keeps you warmed up, I guess. Like if you've drawn your bow five times in the morning and a deer comes in, it feels a lot better than trying to draw your bow for the first time that day. You know, it's like, yeah. at least for me, it is. It's like, it's kind of like when you, when you take your first swing with the golf club of the day, it's like, you take that swing, and you're like, oh, I'm stiff, you know, <laughs> and like, you know, but by, but by the, you know, halfway through the round of golf, you're like, getting your groove, you're, you're stretched out. Same thing happens when you shoot your bow, you know, so while you're not shooting and getting, you know, actual shot reps, you're at least getting your muscle warmed up. So that way you don't find yourself in a position where you're all cold and, you know, freezing and, you know, oh, here comes a deer and I haven't drawn my bow all day. I mean, I can't even imagine the pain that that would cause, you know, it's just like stiff and, you know, not warmed up and that, that definitely can affect your shot. At least it does for me. So, you know, that, that's, that's really important to me is just drawing a bunch. Yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> that's great advice there. Um, you know, I, I do always try to draw my bow back whenever I get in a setup, whether it's, you know, most of the time I'm in a, a tree stand or a saddle, but, uh, yep. yeah, just to, like you said, to make sure you can clear everything and everything's going to be all right. But yeah, that's a good idea to, you know, do it throughout the, throughout the hunt, stay warmed up. And I definitely, definitely like the idea of, of picking a spot where you can, you can stand up because, uh, man, the older I get, the, uh, the less time I can spend crouched down on my knees. So, yeah, so, yeah. I, I, I definitely hear you. I mean, it, it's one of those things that it's like, it's not, it's not the most comfortable. Um, and one thing I guess in the off season I do is I just do, I work on flexibility a lot. And the more I hunt, you know, the more I hunt off the ground, the more I realize that, you know, just working on my flexibility is making me, you know, I have, have like, be able to stay with it longer in the season and just, you know, be a little bit 
more comfortable in every hunting situation. I mean, even as far as climbing trees goes, you know, to get into a tree stand set up, it's like, you know, you can stretch that leg up there and reach that step a little bit easier when you got that good flexibility. And I mean, it's not, you know, I, I like working out and I like, you know, doing lifting weights and stuff and, you know, working on flexibility doesn't always seem like the manliest thing, but <laughs> I can honestly say that it, it definitely is, is, is a benefit of, or benefit for hunting in general. I just, honestly, at the end of hunting season, I know that I start slacking on it. And I always get so stiff and it's just like, man, I need to you know, take advantage of the off season to kind of get myself back in shape. I'm, I'm getting stiff and getting, you know, just getting, it, it wears on your body after a while. So it's, I oh, think yeah. that stuff is important in off season and really valuable to me. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're not comfortable and you're constantly fidgeting and stuff, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, you're, you're much more likely to, uh, to mess up and get busted. So that's, Absolutely. Uh, that's good stuff. But Zach, I, I will kind of wrap things up here, but I, I know for those wanting to learn more about, you know, whether it's scouting or deer hunting in general, you, you guys have actually created a, I think I've seen where you created an online course, a, a yeah. deer, deer hunting course. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. That's something we're pretty excited about. We've been making hunting videos for, you know, between, you know, just our YouTube channel and, and, you know, any other way we can create content, I guess, for the last five years. But we've always enjoyed just sharing our experiences and um, thought process a little bit. So we just decided to kind of make a course about everything we know, um, hunting public land whitetails. And again, this isn't not by, by no means ever to say like we have all the answers. It's just hoping to help somebody out somewhere along the way. And we yeah. created a, um, online course. We got like written content. We've got a lot, a whole bunch of video content. We've got like exclusive hunts and hunt breakdowns on there just talking about these stories and kind of the thought process that went in and kind of giving more of those specifics of some of the questions that you asked, like, you know, how far was that, you know, after you bumped the deer, you know, in, in those hunt breakdowns, we really get specific about all that stuff. And it's all just, you know, trying to help, help everybody out as far as uh, learning from our experiences. And that's on our website. It's called the deer school. Um, pretty basic name, but can figure that pretty much describe what we yeah. were going for <laughs> there you go <laughs> and uh yeah we're excited about it just because it's something that it gives us it gives us a way to kind of create that longer content too that we don't always put on youtube where we go into high detail about the strategy um you know more more youtube is just kind of our day-to-day -day hunting adventures and you know hunting trips and then um, um the deer school is mostly just to kind of dive into the strategy a little bit more and yeah we're excited about it man we we worked on it for a long time before we ever even even talked about it and actually um it's something too that we're going to continue to like add to over the years so it's not you know if somebody is interested in it it's not something that's just gonna you know you're gonna be able to run through once and that's it for forever we're going to continue to add content to that every year and I mean, we were just shooting videos of it yesterday. So okay, uh, gotcha. Yeah, and, and what's that? About it. What's that? What's that website address? Uh, it's just thehuntingpublic.com. So okay, if you go to thehuntingpublic.com, you can find it under the Deer School tab. And yeah, it's all it's all there. I think there's, yeah, I think there's like ten sections of it, different chapters and stuff. So 
it's pretty cool. I think I think I get to be cool for everybody. I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I had to uh, definitely had to check that out. But man, yeah, I, sure. I uh, can't can't thank you enough for spending heck of over an hour and a half here talking with me about you know scouting strategy, hunting strategy. Uh, I, I enjoyed it as always, and uh, hopefully it, it broke up a little little bit of the monotony of the of the drive there. <laughs> Absolutely, I was just sitting here looking at my looking at the call time. I'm like, man, well, first off, that went really fast, and two, you know, the same old drive that I've done a whole bunch of my life. You know, I haven't really changed much, so I don't feel like I'm missing much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I, I, I really do. I I love talking hunting, and I love uh, yeah, just discussing all these things. I, you know, I'm oh, real yeah. passionate about it. I have a good time talking about it, and I can get to rambling, but hopefully somebody takes something away from it. And, and again, I always want to stress because I just, you know, I don't, I really don't want people to think that I you know, have all the answers or anything like there's, there's so many different ways you can do it. Just go out there, have fun. And like, I know it works for you because that that's, what's the most important. And like, you know, what we, we really, I, I really think and, and THB thinks it's just, you know, getting people involved and being out there and having fun. That's the most important thing. Cause you know, we got to band together to not, not let this, uh, you know, let our, let our lifestyle get taken away. So, you know, just go out there, have fun. We're all on the same team and, you know, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. And I, and I think that's why you guys have been so successful is because it, it shows it, that you guys are having fun. You know, it's, it's yeah. not, uh, you know, some, sometimes it's, it's easy to uh, get the impression that, you know, it's, I don't know, some people make a job out of it or, or work like, serious work yeah. out of it and, and take it way yeah. too seriously so it, it's yeah. good to yeah. good to watch you guys you know just out there having a good time and enjoying what you yeah. do it. the final thing i'll say is like don't worry about what type of buck you're shooting or what yeah. deer you're shooting you know just have fun with all that because it's like that's something that can easily get you down a you know a, a you can definitely get you in a slump if you're worrying too much about that and you're you know yep. worried about what other people think it's like you know, when I stopped, when I stopped worrying about that, it just got more fun. You know, just make it, make it what you want it to be and, and enjoy it, man. Like, we're just, we're just so lucky to have this opportunity, you know, to do it all the time. You know, I just, yeah, hunting is awesome. Enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> make it fun. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's what it's about. If you're not out there having fun, then what's, what's the point? Yeah, so. That's right. That's right. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Zach Farrenball. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, and, and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Uh, or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the, the podcasting charts and be more visible to, uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at deerassociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Hey, you can become a member and don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show. 
to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that. And uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website, covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, if it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends.